Sex Communication, a podcast of explicit audio and frank conversation. How do we talk about sex? How do we communicate during sex? Well, if you're here now, then you're going to find out. My name is Brianne McGuire, and each week I share an uncensored peek into the things we don't discuss. Sex. 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 I can't say the word sex. Sexy, sexy, sex stuff. Sex. Hello and welcome to episode 126. Today I'm interviewing a man named Kenneth. Kenneth is a registered sex offender, an author, fellow podcast host, and graduate student in sociology. But you're probably still thinking about that first thing that I mentioned, that he's a registered sex offender. Uh, this is a first for this show. Uh, if you're a listener, you know I have been a victim of sex crimes A number of my guests have been victims of sex crimes, but this is the first time I'm having a conversation with somebody whose experience is on the other side of the coin. Kenneth and I connected over Instagram as podcast hosts, discussing our shared interest in destroying the stigma of sex and having challenging conversations about sex. And this is one of those conversations. You know, um, Kenneth was very upfront and disclosing his past when we were scheduling this interview. Uh, I actually didn't know until he shared that information, and I just knew immediately that it would make this interview all that more important. I think everybody's story is equally valuable, but I do think there's a greater level of importance in, in making sure that the field of perspectives is as diverse as possible. And the only way to do that is to talk with people on all sides of an experience. Um, So I am grateful that Kenneth uh, agreed to do this show and that he was willing to sit down and speak with me so openly and intimately. There are definitely times when he's uncomfortable and says as much. Um, But, you know, he he answered every question that I asked, and I, I do appreciate that. So... You know, this conversation may be challenging for some of you to listen to, but I encourage you to keep an open mind and think about how in your own life you can embrace honesty, especially when it comes to conversations about sex. So here we go. So hi, Kenneth. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Um, Can you just do me a favor and just kind of describe yourself or introduce yourself to us? Yeah, so my name's Kenneth, um, and I guess the um, the uh, I'll just start uh, with the interesting part of the story. I guess um, I served eleven years in prison for uh, a series of sex crimes, and um, uh, basically am uh, learning. I, I guess that experience gave me a chance to learn a lot about my own sexuality and about how I relate to other people. And uh, so I guess uh, to start with, I uh, grew up in a, uh, a small town with uh, not a lot of opportunities for me to really explore and understand my own sexuality. So um, I, I felt at a, an early age that I was attracted to, to men or at, I guess at the time to boys um, and uh, didn't really know what to do with that. I guess I, I didn't have anybody that I felt I could talk to about it. And, um, and so as I, as I grew up, as I, uh, started trying to understand these feelings on my own, I, uh, didn't necessarily make the best decisions. I ended up hurting some people and, uh, ended up in prison because of it. Uh, so one of the biggest things that I've learned coming away from that is that I want to try to find ways to, uh, to talk myself about, uh, sexuality and also to make it easier for other people to talk, to, to find ways to be open and, uh, uh, find freedom from the shame and the fear of discussing topics around sex and sexuality. And I feel like this is a reasonable time to mention you, you have a podcast about sexuality yourself. Um, do you want to talk about that and kind of what it's about and what, you know, prompted you to begin it? Sure. There are actually several things I'm doing. The podcast is one of them. Uh, so it's called the unspeakable vice podcast. 
Um, we've got a website, unspeakablevice.com. And the idea there is to explore the, uh, uh, the topic of why it is so difficult to talk about sex. And so we're looking to uh, interview people um, that uh, have had experiences either uh, coming out, you know, talking about their own sexuality or experiences where the inability to talk about sex have uh, affected them in some way. And we're also looking to, uh, to get into some of the academics and uh, interview people that uh, have uh, done research in this area and that sort of thing. And, and, and also, of course, find people who have been successful in talking about sex and how that's benefited their lives. Yeah. Uh, in addition to the podcast, I've also got a, uh, a book that I'm working on that's not uh, particularly related to sex, but it's related to the, uh, the experiences of, of self-reflection and learning uh, that, uh, that I had uh, going through this whole episode of my life. And uh, I'm also uh, excited about starting a master's program in sociology in the fall where I get uh, a chance to do some more uh, research and, and uh, uh, contribute to the body of knowledge uh, uh, regarding sex communication and uh, how, our, how our culture and society view sex. Mm -hmm. So can you, you know, frankly describe the crimes that you were charged with? So uh, there were, uh, I, I said it was a series of crimes. It started when I met a, um, uh, a person who was 15 when I was about 23, I think. And uh, this person and I quickly developed a friendship. We found that we had lots in common. Um, and um, well, I'll... I'll uh, I'll keep it short for the moment and you can, you can ask for more detail if you want it. But uh, uh, so, so one of the things that we had in common was our uh, interest in um, uh, internet uh, website development. So uh, he was kind of a graphics designer. I was more interested in the technical side of things. And so we sort of developed a business relationship, building websites together. Um, and um the criminal part came in when uh, uh, he had a couple websites where he had photographs and videos of himself uh, nude or uh, uh, involved in sexual acts. And uh, of course, because he was underage, that was considered child pornography. And uh, since I was uh, the adult in the room, so to speak, uh, I was, I was, uh, at least as culpable as he was for uh, the production and the distribution of that. And I mean, you, you mentioned there, was there more than one person that you were involved with that resulted in you being convicted of some crimes? Yes. So that was, that was the episode that really got the uh, attention on me from the, uh, from law enforcement. Um, and as they did their research, interviewing a, a hundred or so of my closest friends, they, uh, uh, they uncovered another situation uh, with uh, a boy who was 14. This was a couple years later, who uh, reached out to me for friendship. And uh, we, uh, I, I, guess, I guess without getting into details, we had an inappropriate relationship uh, where I was, I was trying to uh, help him come to terms with his own sexuality and uh, uh, failed at doing that, I think. Uh, he ended up uh, being uh, upset with me about something that I did. And uh, uh, so the, the, our friendship didn't last very long, but uh, uh, it was enough to uh, create a criminal liability on my part. So did you have physical contact with people? I mean, these, I'm assuming they were all young men, is that? The, yeah, so, so in both of these situations, I, uh, I had some uh, physical interactions with them, but most of our relationships was uh, online. So the first young man was uh, living in California and I'm in Michigan, so we didn't, uh, we didn't actually uh, get together. We actually knew each other for um, probably Five, five years, I think. Uh, so during that time, we did have an opportunity to meet face-to-face -face once or twice, but uh, most of our interactions was not that way. Right. Um, and are you on parole now, or are your sentence, like it's all done and said, and you're, you're on the outside and, and done with any follow-up? Or 
whatever might have happened. I was released from prison um, just over two years ago and finished my parole uh, three months ago. Okay. And I imagine there are things that you can't mention, just legally speaking. Is that correct? Or there, Well, there's things that I'd prefer not to talk about just uh, um, out of out of respect for the uh, other people involved and um, um, just because I think it's been talked about enough already in the, in the courts and in the media. All right. I, you know, I, I do have some questions. I'm, well, I'm curious, you know, you, you've mentioned already you, and we, we did have some correspondence prior to this interview. So your ideas that kind of, the way that we speak about sex, the way that sex is approached um, by our society and culture, like that had an impact on relationships that you got into and, you know, also these crimes. Can you talk about that? Like what specifically put you in a position to think that it was okay to engage with minors inappropriately? So I guess I never thought it was okay in, in a broad sense. I think I found myself in that position because I was struggling myself in understanding my sexuality. I didn't feel like I had anybody I could talk to really. Um, and uh, uh, younger people and, and this one in particular was somebody that I felt that I could open up to. Um, maybe as as a younger person, there was less of a threat from him. Um, and so I I sort of um, we we developed a friendship that that was giving me an opportunity to um, to really dig into my own understanding of myself. And uh, I think I think, understanding now it, it was clearly inappropriate to do that and even at the time i i knew that there was um you know some some inappropriate way to do that but i guess at the time i really didn't know any other way to answer these questions for myself if that made sense so do you feel like you caused harm yes okay i think at the time that was certainly never my intention but looking back at it and particularly hearing the comments from the young man and, and from his mother, uh, I, I definitely see that um, there was, there was a, a betrayal of trust uh, at the least. And I see that um, the things that I was expect the, the things that I was receiving from the relationship, the sort of, uh, ability to, uh, better understand myself and my own sexuality was something that was, uh, that, that, uh, a person of his age shouldn't have had to deal with and, um, whether or not it was a benefit to me, uh, uh, it was certainly, uh, not a benefit. It was certainly harming him to, uh, to have to be exposed to, to my issues, uh, I guess, to, to put it that way. And to talk a bit more about specifics with how you look at the events now, you know, after the fact and, you know, having been incarcerated and gone through this experience of, you know, living through the punishment for your crimes. So when we had initially set up this interview, you had, you know, you were very upfront about disclosing that you had been incarcerated for sex crimes, but you had described it um, with the language of conviction for multiple sex crimes involving consenting minors. Um, and, you know, I had responded to you that, you know, the fact of being a minor makes one incapable of consent. And it, it brought up discussion about, you know, we're not trying to, or that you, your intention is not to dissect, you know, the meaning of consent. Um, and you, you said you wanted to point out the distinction between forcible assault versus an inappropriate relationship that would have been legal and possibly even celebrated, but for the age of the person involved. Um, that, that does seem to contradict your statement that you do feel you did harm. I mean, that sounds like you're justifying it. Is that not how you see it? Oh, so, so consent in, in one way is a legal term. I mean, depending on the context that we're talking about it, there's, there's certainly the legal 
definition of consent and somebody um, in Michigan, the age of consent is 16. So somebody under the age of 16 is not legally permitted to consent to a sex act. Um, and I, I, I don't want to second guess those laws that define consent. I think they're, they're certainly well-intentioned and there's certainly a, a, a clear basis. There, there's, you know, plenty of evidence to show that uh, young people don't have a full grasp of uh, complex decisions that they're making. So, so without questioning the law, I, I do think it's worth questioning um, how we understand sexual development. Um, it's not as if on a person's 16th birthday, all of a sudden he or she uh, has this you know, full grasp of, of uh, sexuality and can start making decisions easily. I think, I think it's a process of uh, learning and evolving, um, a process that I had to go through that took a whole lot longer. It was you know, well past my 18th birthday that, uh, um, that I started to understand uh, my own sexuality. But um, um, I guess what I'm, what I'm getting at, the re the, so, the, so the context here, the reason I brought that up in those words, I said that um, uh, when, when I sort of introduced my crime as being involving a consenting teenager, what I was getting at is, is to sort of give a, a, you know, in a couple words as best I could, the nature of the crime that um, I think, well, any, and any sexual harm is harm. There's no doubt about that. I think there are different degrees of harm. Um, and so making a distinction between something that involves violence or um, uh, uh, another form of assault uh, would be in some ways in a different category than um, something that is uh, more uh, subtly coercive in the, in, as was in the case where uh, uh, the case that I was involved in. Uh, so while there are very legitimate questions about whether or not this young man was truly understanding the uh, consent that he was giving or, or uh, wanting to give, I think um, it's, it's worth thinking about that. It's worth trying to uh, dig into and understand exactly what was going on in his mind and therefore what was the actual harm. And so in his case, the harm wasn't uh, a physical assault. It wasn't um, uh, uh, something that, that left physical scars on his body, but it was, and it, and it wasn't even an emotional assault in a violent sort of sense. It was more of a, uh, an emotional, uh, a psychological violation of his understanding of his person. Um, and so certainly that's harmful. Certainly it's unacceptable and something that, uh, uh, I think we all need to work at, uh, uh, understanding and, and eliminating the cause of that sort of harm. Hmm. Um, but, but I think it is in a different category. But do you Does see that make sense or, uh, I, I can understand what, what you're saying in your position. I'm, I'm curious though, do you feel like they were crimes only because, you were caught because uh, somebody said that something was wrong. I mean, would you still categorize your actions as criminal if none of them ever came forward? No, none of them ever did or said anything that resulted in you being prosecuted. Would you still personally consider your acts to be criminal? I, I think by, by legal definition, well, I, Legal definitions get complicated. I think I'd, I'd rather ask the question, are they harmful? And the answer there would, would be yes, uh, regardless. And I think the, the distinction uh, between whether it's legal or criminal is, uh, you know, the, the, the law and the courts try to make that a black and white thing. But the question of is something harmful is much more nuanced. And I think there can be harm in criminal activities. There can be harm in legal activities. And um, I, I would like to avoid causing harm myself at a minimum, but I think I'd also like to, uh, and, and, and this is the reason that I'm doing the things that I'm doing now, I, I'd like to find better ways to, uh, to avoid situa harmful situations as a society so that, so that uh, 
Um, obviously, I don't want to victimize anybody in the future, but uh, uh, I'd like to try to, uh, in as much as possible, eliminate victims across the board and, and the situations where people can be, be victimized. Whether, whether or not that victimization is criminal or not, I, I think uh, looking at how it can be harmful is a better question. And it's, you know, kind of gets to be splitting hairs, though. I mean, am I correct that because I did had done some research um, once you had shared that information and it, it I don't know if this is the youngest person that you engaged with or not, but there was a 13 year old boy. Um, I mean, do, like, at what point do you feel, especially given that you said for yourself that it wasn't until after you had turned 18 that you started having like some sense of your own self as a sexual person and having this more nuanced understanding. So when it comes to somebody that's several years below that age of you yourself having this experience, what made you think that being a person in your 20s that that it was appropriate? Like how did you justify or go ahead with this behavior at the time? Like what made it seem okay? I, I, I don't have a good answer for that, but I think the best that I can say is I didn't feel like I was any more mature than they were. Um, I certainly, I should have been, but, uh, uh, I guess I was looking to them for uh, support and affirmation. And so at the time I saw the relationship as equal. I didn't understand or I didn't realize the power dynamic uh, that made it uh, so, that, so that bringing uh, issues of sexuality into it would make it harmful. Right. Uh, and, I, and just to just to be clear, I don't I don't recall anything about a 13 year old. Um, that's not part of my past. And I'm not sure uh, what information that you saw where you heard that. But it was a five hour interview on C-SPAN. OK, I, um, I, I there was the uh, the, fifth, the the person who was 15 when I met him and uh, I knew him until he was about 19 before our relationship, before I ended our relationship. And then there was uh, a 14 year old a couple of years later after that. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you're, you're registered as a sex offender now. Is that what reality is like for you? That's correct. Um, and that's uh, um complicated in its own ways uh, and, and challenging in its own ways because those laws are, are fairly new and they're changing almost every day. Uh, so it's, it's kind of a challenge to keep up with what, uh, what I'm expected to do and what I'm not. Mm. Do you think that you still struggle with the idea of assault being something that, like something can be assault without it being physically aggressive? Like just the nature of someone not being able to consent, you know, like I, I've been a victim of sexual assault on multiple occasions. None of them have been forcible, but they've all been instances of assault. And, you know, as with consent, in, with age or incapacitation, if somebody is not capable of giving consent for one reason or another, there does not have to be violence in order for it to be assault. Does that... Is that something that you agree with or you still have a differing opinion? I, I, I definitely agree with you that it, that it can be harmful. And, and I guess understanding of the word assault is tricky. I guess as I'm thinking about the, you know, the dictionary definition of the word, it's when, when somebody is fearful of, of harm. And so it doesn't involve necessarily any uh, violence, but it's more about a threat. And that threat can certainly be implicit. Uh, it doesn't have to be clearly stated in some way. Um, and I guess uh, in, in, in prison, I have had a couple experiences where I would call myself a victim of uh, uh, sexual assault or, or something similar to that. And I, I struggle to find words to talk about it myself um, because it doesn't feel, it didn't feel violent. It felt confusing. And I guess in a way, I felt violated by those experiences, but not in a violent 
way if that if if there's a distinction to be made there mm -hmm. it was more of a psychological um trauma than anything else um and and so really cer certainly that you know my own experiences helped me understand the experiences of of people that i've hurt but uh um, I think beyond that, I, I can understand even just from their own expression of their experience, how, uh, uh, how it can be difficult. So what are your, getting back to present time, you know, and your, your thoughts about, you know, kind of the motivation for the podcast that, that you've started and, and research and exploration that you're doing now in regards to how we communicate about sex and, and, you know, how we approach it as a society, like how, how do, how does that outside influence your behavior and your opinion and your approach to engaging with other people? So the, the first time that I, felt actually comfortable talking about these this this part of my life and and even you know my sexual the, the sexual part of my being at all uh happened relatively recently and it was because i was in circumstances where um that was sort of the norm i was i'm, I'm specifically i'm i'm thinking of a, a therapy group where i was um you know, in a group of men who are all talking about issues related to sexuality and their and their own sexual behavior and and thoughts and feelings. Uh, so so being able to have it be normal to talk about sexual issues, um, even even if those issues are not normal, uh, was was therapeutic to me. It was very helpful for me, and it's still a struggle. I don't know if you can tell. I'm not very comfortable talking about it even now, but. Um, it's uh, uh, it's certainly helpful to have opportunities to talk about it, and um, I guess more broadly, I've heard of situations where people have been victimized specifically because they were unable to talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, you know, they maybe maybe, and and this is not a specific case, but just speaking in generalities, maybe somebody. Uh, knew that something was wrong, but uh, didn't know how to speak up or um, wanted to get out of a, a, a situation that uh, uh, was about to be abusive or assaultive, but uh, didn't have the words, couldn't find the words. And um, um, I, think, I think there's two things that are going on. One, uh, we have a culture that suppresses those voices, um, makes it uh, uh, so that so that people uh, feel shame when they come forward, uh, saying that they're that they're in a, a situation where they might be a victim. Uh, and on the other side of the coin, I think we have um, uh, just just not enough opportunities for it to be normal for people to talk about sex and, and, and particularly the bad parts of sex, I guess, so the, the uncomfortable, uh, the, the parts that people might not want to hear about. Um, so I'm, I'm looking to understand that better so that we can uh, work as a society to be more open, to be more honest about uh, both the good and the bad that comes along with sexuality and, and uh, understand where things can be fun and pleasurable uh, and where they can be harmful and uh, dangerous. Um, I, think, I think the more we talk about it, the better we're gonna understand those things and the better that we can all work together to avoid uh, the harm that, that could potentially be around that. Well, I do agree with you about, you know, the, the, the benefits of speaking about it more openly and it being more normal and practiced um, but it, it's interesting when you were describing that, I mean, the way you're talking about if somebody had felt more comfortable, you know, uh, bringing up instances of abuse or whatever, I mean, thinking about your victims, wouldn't that be a situation where, like, are, are you not idealizing a, a time where they might have felt more, um, 
empowered to speak up and, and, you know, fight against what was happening? I mean, is it, is that one of the scenarios that you're, you're thinking could have potentially gone differently if, you know, our approach to sex as a society was different? Or are you thinking only about like times now going forward? Um, I, I mean, well, I'm not, I'm not sure exactly. I, I guess, um, you know, situations can repeat themselves if, if we don't learn from them. Um, so I mean, do you, do you wish could, though that the, the children had been more vocal in, in and, saying like, this is not okay. This is right. Right. I think, I think that would be an ideal <laughs> that, that may have helped me at the time to understand what was going on. I wouldn't expect that from them necessarily. Um, you know, that's, 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 there's so many social issues. It really has, you know, I can't expect an individual in this culture to stand up and, and say things like that, but we need to change as a culture to make it more okay uh, to stand up and say things like that. But, but even, you know, in that culture, I don't think uh, the, the young man that I knew would have to do that because I would have already known it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's a, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit because I don't want it to sound like I'm putting the onus on the potential victim to speak up. Um, but I think as a society, we need to have a culture, have a, an atmosphere where it's okay for somebody to speak up and where uh, other people are okay talking about and uh, dissecting and understanding the harm uh, that can come out of a, a coercive sexual situation. Yeah. Were you yourself abused? As a child, no. Um, I, I, I feel like, you know, I, I wonder what went wrong in my life to, to lead me to uh, feel the need to go to somebody incapable of helping me to understand myself better. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I can't, I can't blame anything other than the situation where I didn't have anybody to talk to. So if anything, I was neglected rather than abused in terms of my sexual development. Um, I'm assuming based on just your, your description of it, however vague, but it sounds like there, there wasn't a lot of openness about sex and at least in the environment that you grew up in. That's accurate. Yeah, it was. Um, and, and my parents were fairly liberal. Uh, it's not, it's not as if um, the subject was completely off the table, but it was always awkward mm-hmm. and it didn't usually come up. Um, and I could tell that when it did come up, my parents were not comfortable talking about it. Yeah. Um, so I, um, I didn't, uh, even when I wanted to bring it up, even, uh, you know, I can remember um, a situation where I had a, a, a friend over, it happened to be a girl, um, but uh, uh, my, my parents sort of uh, uh, didn't, didn't know where my attractions lay at that time. And so they sort of expressed some concern, you know, leave the door open and this and that. And reading between the lines, I sort of understood what, what their concern was getting at. And it was sort of, um, you know, ironic to me that they would be concerned in a, in a case where there was no reason to, because there was no attraction on my part, but um, it was, it was just, you know, a very awkward situation and it just made it uh, so that I didn't feel comfortable, um, you know, bringing up the more complicated issues of uh, sexuality. And I guess, I guess um, it, and it, the, the complication of, of my sexual orientation, I should say, and to, and to make things, uh, more of a challenge for me. It was a small community where I didn't know any other gay people, I guess. Um, so I didn't really have anybody to compare to and say, oh, okay, that's, that's how I'm supposed to behave. Or um, uh, this, this would be somebody that maybe I could talk to. I just, I just didn't know anybody like that. Yeah. So well, how old were you when you, you were sent away to prison? Um, 27. I believe. And may I ask your age now? I'm 42. All right. Saves me from doing the math. Thank you. (laughs) Um, I mean, do you feel like it's a struggle separating 
your sexuality with, you know, the crimes of your past? Is it, is it hard to find a positive, healthy way to explore your sexuality? You know, is it, it is just so mucked up by, by what's happened that you have a hard time engaging in that in a healthy way without it, it, you know, always coming around to, you know, this criminal act? There's a lot of uh, anxiety that I feel about that. And, and, you know, despite all the, uh, the growth that I talk about here and, and the ability to understand my past and my feelings, even my present feelings, um, when it comes to action, there is uh, a lot of anxiety and, and still fear, I guess, about uh, what's appropriate and what's not. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, even even knowing, have, having a fairly high level of confidence that I know intellectually um, what sorts of relationships would be good, what I would enjoy, um, actually uh, following through and making those relationships happen uh, still feels uh, like a challenge, like, like something that maybe I'm not quite ready to do um, because uh, because of a fear of how people would see me, I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, always, always sort of expecting that, uh, well, well, he's a, he's, he's a registered sex offender. So whatever he's doing, it must have some, uh, uh, some, some criminal motive or something like that. And mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not sure exactly how to, how to get around that stigma in my own mind, whether it's, whether it's real or not, I don't know, but it, it is kind of a challenge for me. Um, but have you had relationships since you, you've been out? Have you had adult consenting relationships or it's still something like you're struggling to get there and it hasn't happened yet? I, I haven't had a great opportunity for it yet. And maybe part of that's the, um, uh, the, the, uh, stay at home recommendations that we have, uh, uh, so I'm not sure what the best way is to go about meeting people. Um, and, and I've, I've met a few people that uh, uh, maybe would uh, turn into a good relationship. It just hasn't yet. Um, you know, there's a, I've had a, had somebody that I worked with that, uh, um, you know, maybe there was a little bit of chemistry and another situation where uh, a, a friend tried to hook me up with a, a mutual acquaintance, but uh, neither of those really went anywhere. Um, so I guess, I guess I'm still working on it. I guess at the same time though, I'm, I'm comfortable where I'm at. I don't feel like I need, uh, anything more than the relationships that I have or the type of relationships that I have. I have really good friendships and, uh, really good, um, uh, sort of, sort of, uh, academic relationships, I guess, you know, students that I can talk to about, uh, um, about whatever research topics I'm working on at school, but uh, um, not having sex in any of those relationships maybe isn't ideal in my mind, but I'm okay with it. Yeah. So do you identify as being a person who is fundamentally attracted to younger people or is, you know, the things that happened in your past and, and those crimes was that, I mean, you described you felt vulnerable yourself. You felt unsure in that at the time, you know, these relationships, these engagements were appealing to you because it felt equal in terms of development or, you know, like there was, you were able to relate to them in a way and it maybe was not like driven by pedophilia. I mean, how, how do you characterize it? Like, who are you attracted to now? Is it still the same age, the same type of, of person? Or I mean, like, where are you with that? No, I have a hard time imagining myself being uh, romantically attracted to somebody that young at this point. Um, I, I, I do find that I'm interested in people a few years younger than myself. Um, what qualifies but, but as a not, not, um, I, I guess, I guess my ideal, like if I, if I sort of imagined the ideal partner, uh, it might be somebody, uh, between the ages of say 27 and 35. Um, but, but anybody significantly younger than that would be, it would be pretty difficult for me to imagine being in a relationship with. Mm. So 
Can you describe to me how you, you wish you had been brought up with sex? How, like what, I mean, is it even possible to uh, like imagine with any kind of clarity, the circumstances or the, the education or the conversation or whatever that would have made you feel accepting of your own sexuality and comfortable and, and to maybe have prevented, you know, the crimes from, from taking place later on? Yeah, that is a really hard question. I, I, I can sort of imagine a, a utopian situation where I felt like I had somebody that I could talk to about anything. Um, but I honestly, I'm not sure exactly what that would look like. Um, and, um, you know, I'm not sure what questions, if there were specific questions that I had, um, what, what those questions would be. But, um, I, d I definitely think that um, as a society, we've uh, stigmatized sex in such a way that it's hard to separate it from um, shame. And it's, um, th there's always, I think maybe there's part of my background that I can add to this here. Um, I, I grew up in a Catholic home, more or less, and uh, uh, learned a lot of the Catholic ideas about sexuality. Um, uh, one, of, one of the most important of those being that you just don't have sex until you're married. Um, and that, uh, that was something that I sort of, and, and then I guess combined with the fact that, that homosexuality is one of the worst sins that there is and, and uh, certainly would send a person to hell. Uh, those, those two things together made it so that it, it seemed very, uh, I, I guess near impossible for me to, to bring up those subjects on my own. Um, so I'm not sure uh, exactly, you know, to get back to your question, what, what it would look like to be in a situation where I did feel comfortable talking about those things. But I, I guess um, having, having uh, role models that I could look to uh, would be a start. Um, maybe having invitations to uh, to be more honest about my feelings and, and understanding that it's okay if the feelings don't make sense, mm -hmm. um, that, that it's okay to have conflicting feelings even. Um, uh, I guess that's, that's the best I can come up with right now. Yeah. Do you still have questions about your sexuality now? I find that it continues to evolve and that surprises me a little bit. Um, but I guess uh, the, the question, I guess, I guess they're not questions anymore. I guess I'm okay. Just not understanding all of it. Um, uh, I guess if, if for in, in particular, one of the things that is sort of an evolution is that I've found uh within the past year or two that, uh, that I'm, I'm attracted to women in a way that I hadn't felt before, I guess. Um, and so that sort of surprises me and, um, you know, maybe that's something that I could explore more in the future, but I guess I'm at this point in my life, I'm okay with, with having a little bit of uncertainty in there. Mm -hmm. I, I had a friend that I talked to recently and he said that one of the best things for him, uh, getting, to to be more confident with his sexuality and with his identity uh, was a willingness to be uncomfortable, uh, and I and I think that resonated with me as well. That that uh, knowing that it's okay to be uncomfortable. I think when I was younger, I felt a need that if I have a strong emotion, that that's a sign that something is wrong, and then I need to do something to to change it, to fix it, so mm -hmm. to speak. Um, but uh, now I guess I'm in a place where I can, I can have uh, strong feelings and just sort of, okay, that's interesting. Um, and, you know, maybe explore them, but maybe not. Maybe, maybe that's just uh, an uncomfortable feeling that, that I'm having and that's all there is to it. Yeah. So in regards to media and, you know, I, I know a fair amount of, the charges that were brought against you not only involved, you know, physical contact, but were more largely about child pornography. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. Yeah. Can you talk about 
well, how, how that all started and, and what your feelings are about pornography now and your, well, I have a second part, but I, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to barrage you with, with okay. questions um, all at once. So just one at a time. I mean, can okay. you, you just talk about how, how that began and, and your positions on that now? Yeah. So this uh, young man that, that um, I was working with that I had a friendship with was actually um, involved in this child pornography before I met him. And this was something that we talked about a little bit uh, as friends. Um, and uh, it was something that I felt was wrong on a, on a moral level at the time. Uh, it, so it, it felt just morally that, that there's something wrong with, uh, with, with making explicit images and, and getting money for them. Never, never mind the, the fact that he was underage, that, that was, you know, even on top of that, but even just pornography in general, um, was not something that I was comfortable with. And I, I guess I can't really articulate why I'm sure it had something to do with my religious upbringing, but, um, just this idea of uh, involving sex or sexuality in a financial exchange seemed uh, troubling to me. So, so basically for that reason, for the moral reason alone, I didn't, didn't like the idea of him being involved in that. Um, so as a, as a friend, as somebody that, uh, 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 Try, tried to show caring for him. Uh, it uh, it was it was something that I encouraged him not to do. But at the same time, I was um, I was unable to distance myself from that entirely. Right? I guess um, my thought was, and and this is as much a thought looking back at it as it was at the time. But I. Um, I guess the obvious thing to uh, to avoid doing something criminal myself would be just to distance myself from the whole thing, to not have anything to do with it. But I felt that because I uh, liked him as a person, because I cared about him, because he was my friend, I felt like I should try to help, try to encourage him in a in a more moral direction, and um, and so when I was unable to convince him not to do it at all, uh, I ended up, uh, you know, basically, basically allowing him to continue and then, uh, and then ultimately being a part of it in, in one way or another. Um, so. When you say you were a part of it in one way or another, can you talk more about that and be more specific? Well, that's that's where the legal definitions get complicated. My my position during the uh, the court proceedings was that I was acting just as an internet service provider, just providing you know basic services of web hosting and and that sort of thing to him. And so I didn't have uh, so I didn't I didn't have any responsibility for the content that it was putting up there. That was sort of my legal defense. Um, my uh, at the time, my my sort of moral defense was kind of what I what I just uh, described that because um, because I advocated against it and because he decided that he wanted to do it regardless, um, it was sort of out of my hands morally in my mind. Um, and I guess, I guess where I was going with that was that, you know, I could have just distanced myself from him. I just said, you know, I don't want anything, any part to do with this. Um, but then I figured he'd probably just go to some other place and, and you know, get, get the same services and, um, and continue to do it. And so I'd rather, I thought, I thought it would be a better situation for me to be involved with him not not actively participating in the creation of this stuff, but involved with him as a as a friend, as uh, as um, somebody that was in his life, rather than rather than just uh, shutting that off entirely. And were you so you were making money off of it? I I I was breaking even. I would say mm -hmm. I was. Um, so so he was involved in uh, website design 
and and he had a number of websites that he had created and and designed for customers of his and so there was maybe uh i don't know 20 or 50 different websites that uh he was hosting so i was i'm sorry that i was hosting for him so i was uh getting a little bit of money uh from him for those services but uh nothing directly connected to the uh the sale of the pornography and aside from those with which you you've been i mean was the bulk of your internet company like devoted to hosting similar websites that were all kind of focused around child pornography no no not at all that was that was um something that for the most part i i don't think it was even directly on my servers i think the uh the young man was doing this um kind of in his own way um but uh, but no most of my customers were um small businesses or organizations uh either local to me or or local to people that i knew you know kind of word of mouth uh things that had absolutely nothing to do with with sex or or pornography or or uh even children yeah were you a customer of those same sites no, I, I think for the same reasons that um, that I was sort of morally opposed to participating in pornography, I was also kind of had a moral uh, issue with paying for it. Um, and that's not to say I didn't look at pornography from time to time, but I, I just had it in my mind that if that if I don't pay for it, that makes it somehow better. Can you uh, describe what kind of pornography you would view at that time? Um. At that time, I was, I was, uh, gosh, it wasn't, it wasn't like an everyday thing, but it was, uh, you know, occasionally I would uh, look at pornography and I think uh, uh, what I was interested in was sort of the amateur style of pornography. Um, And, and I'm, I'm not thinking of, of children, by the way, I'm uh, this, these were adult pornographic images I was looking at um but but sort of the amateur style where uh where it's not particularly choreographed or anything like that and do you watch pornography now a little bit I think my views of it have changed quite a bit and I'm I'm still sort of interested in the same style the sort of amateur um uh individuals um uh uh, masturbating or whatever, but, uh, um, I, th- I think my views on pornography as a whole have changed quite a bit, I think. Um, and, and sex work in general too. Um, I think I, I understand it, uh, in a much more mature way. That's, uh, a little more distant from my moralistic upbringing. And so I am happy to, uh, to see other people enjoy expressing themselves through uh, through things like pornography, through the uh, the idea of uh, other people watching them, and so I'm happy to uh, support that industry, so to speak. Um, uh, if it, you know, pr- providing that it's consensual, I know there's a lot of uh, challenges, a lot of concerns about that sort of thing as well. But uh, provided that that people are enjoying themselves, I think it's wonderful if they can. Uh, uh, get some of that enjoyment through sharing images of themselves. Do you feel like the pornography industry reinforces um, illegal behavior and, and unhealthy interests? Um, and I'm, I'm saying this, I, I, don't, I didn't ask you how much you were familiar with my project or my work, but I want to preface that. Well, I've already asked the question, so it's not so much a preface, but I am pro pornography. Um, but I know a lot, I mean, there are many, many arguments against pornography, but one of them, you know, and you mentioned too, like, it's not always possible to confirm that people involved are of consenting age. And even if they are of consenting age, that they're not being forcibly or non-forcibly coerced into doing whatever they're doing on camera. So given that, do you feel like, you know, with the different themes and and subjects of pornography that's available and like pretty much anything is, but there's this whole thing of like 
there's a play of making pornography that appears as if the participants are underage, that that's really played up. And, you know, the, the violent porn, um, and then we could just go on and on. But do you, do you think that the existence of these things, whether or not they were created in a legal and consenting fashion, do you think that their mere existence reinforces or creates unhealthy and illegal behavior? That's a question that I've asked myself a few times, uh, you know, through my through, through my own um, growth as a person, and I I think that um, I think I think like you said, there are legitimate concerns about whether or not pornography is really understood is really if it's possible to understand the consent in there, uh, particularly in some of the cases you're talking about where there's a play uh, of, uh, uh, you know, pe people within the pornographic act who, who are playing at being underage or who are playing at not consenting or something like that. Um, and so, th so those, those sorts of depictions to me are a little bit troubling, but um, I think the short answer to your question though is no, that, that the existence of that sort of material, I think does not in and of itself encourage um, similar behavior. I think when people view it, they need to understand it in the proper context. I think, uh, you know, as, as a young person myself, uh, as I was growing up searching for role models, searching for information uh, about what's normal, what's acceptable, um, uh, I think if I stumbled across that stuff, if you know, if I stumbled across a pornographic video of uh, people that appeared to be underage uh, and it made it look normal, I could misunderstand that and think that it was real. Um, so I think I think there's a, a challenge that um, people who consume pornography need to understand the the whole situation. Um, and so there's there's uh, there's some concern in my mind there, but I think in general, no, the, por the pornography itself does not contribute to any of the, the harms provided that the pornography itself wasn't causing harm through, the, through creating it through course of means or whatever. Yeah. There's, there's sort of a, an element that's in the back of my head now, which is, uh, you know, the situation that there's maybe a gray area of consent versus coercion where um, uh, a, a seemingly consenting adult may uh, feel like he or she needs to do this work because that's the only way to pay the bills. And then there's, then there becomes more complicated questions of consent. You know, do they, do they have other opportunities to make money that they would be more comfortable doing? Or uh, is this the best, is, is this truly a way that they enjoy making money? Um, so there, so there are larger questions about the way our society requires people to, uh, to have money and to use money. Um, and whether or not that's really consensual. But aside from that, I think the the uh, I think that working in sex work is um, no different from from any other industry, uh, and and particularly you could compare it to other uh, sort of uh, entertainment industries, uh, you know, the Hollywood movies and, and TV shows and things like that that uh, uh, that may depict certain behaviors. I don't think that any of that contributes to um, uh, actual behaviors like like what's being depicted. Mm. So with your work now, and, and you know, you also mentioned that you'll be pursuing a master's in sociology soon. And, and I know from reading about your podcast and other things you've posted, you know, we, we do share um, the belief that media especially plays a significant role in, in how we communicate about sex, how we experience it, how, you know, it, it has this innate effect on our thinking and behavior. So with regards to media specifically, how, I mean, and I'm asking you to, to kind of visualize again or like describe your ideal, your utopia for now or, or you know, shortly or, or far off in the future. Like what is, you know, good communication about sex, open communication about sex, um, this kind of, you know, like very healthy um, 
exploration of it and adoption of it and, and conversation about it? Like, what does that, that look like to you? What do, what do you hope to see in the world around you? Well, I think part of it is, is uh, podcasts like yours. I think, um, you know, having outlets where people can be completely transparent about sex and sexuality. I think that's a good start. Uh, my my only criticism of that would be that it's uh, still kind of encapsulated in a uh, you know, it's it's not mainstream so to say uh, so I I guess you know getting to a point where these conversations and maybe not exactly like the conversations you have on your podcast but but conversations about sex sexual identity uh, sexual orientation sexuality. Uh, are more common uh, around a dinner table or, um, you know, at a, at a bus stop or something like that. Um, I think, I think there are, and there's, there's actually a dual criticism. I say, I say that we don't talk enough about sex or we don't talk openly enough about sex, but at the same time, there are certain ways in which sex communication is oversaturated in our culture, right? We see, sexual depictions in, um, in fashion advertising or um, in, 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 in all, all sorts of different uh, types of media where, where things are being sexualized in a way that's not necessarily open and honest and healthy. Um, so I think, I think uh, we can do two things. One, we can make those depictions that are there more honest by talking about them in more realistic ways. But secondly, we can add to the conversation the more, the more honest and healthy communications where, um, where people are talking about real things and not uh, fantasies or um, uh, sexualization of things that don't really need to be sexual. Mm, yeah. Do you think you'd, you'd, well, okay, I have two final questions for you. So can you tell me more of what you're hoping to get out of studying sociology? Like what is your intention or would you have a specific niche that you're intent on exploring? Well, it's, it's really a new direction for my life. Um, that's how I, uh, came to this, this, uh, situation. So, um, so going through, um, prison and the experience of, of being convicted of serious crimes, uh, it, it was obvious right away that my life was not going to go back to the way it was before as much as I wanted it to. And so I thought, well, what, what, how can I create my life going forward in a way that, uh, that is realistic and also would be something that I'm happy with. And so uh, I wanted to find some way that I could use my experiences, sort of leverage my experiences to a positive outcome. And, um, uh, you know, there's, there's probably numerous ways that you can think of to do that. Um, for me, the academic route seemed like a good fit. Um, I'm, I'm not particularly outspoken. Um, it's, uh, you know, the, the so, social conversation doesn't necessarily come easy to me. Um, and I, and I do sort of enjoy the academic work and the research that goes along with that. I like, I like looking for the big answers to the big questions. Um, and I think academic research can give me an opportunity to do some of that. So this is, this is really part of my um, hope for a new future for myself, that I can use the experiences of my past in a positive way and uh, uh, find ways to leave the world better than when I got here. Yeah. And do you feel like you would be at this place that you would be pursuing these ideas and these interests that you would have the opinion that you do about, about the necessary conversations around sex and, you know, this whole quest to normalize the topic. Do you think that you would be here if you hadn't gone through what you had gone through? Probably not. Um, but I mean, the experiences of my past shaped who I am today. And so it's, I wouldn't be the same person without those experiences. So it's hard to imagine where I would be if it weren't for those experiences. And so I wouldn't, uh, 
yeah, I don't know. I don't know where I would be. And maybe, maybe if I hadn't had those experiences, we wouldn't need somebody to, uh, to advocate for better, uh, openness around this topic. But, yeah. uh, this is, this is who I am now, I guess. And, um, so I'd like to make the best impact that I can with it. Yeah. Well, I wish you best of luck in doing that. And I appreciate you, you know, taking the time to talk to me and discuss what I, you know, is an uncomfortable topic. Um, and I appreciate your willingness to, to open up about it. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to discuss? Uh, no, uh, let me just say thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about it. And you, you uh, asked me some hard questions, but I think it was uh, worth it. And I hope, I hope it can be useful to other people as well. That's our episode for today. I just want to thank you all for listening. And if any of you have a story that you would like to share, however challenging it may be to talk about, uh, this is a safe place to have those conversations. So please reach out. Um, and if you're interested in my interview for Kenneth Stroh, I am linking to that in the show notes. Um, but otherwise, I will speak to you again next week. I wish you well. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sex Communication. Please subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcast. And if you'd like more information about the show, visit us online at sexcompod.com. That's S-E-X-C-O-M-P-O-D.com. If you'd like to be a part of the show, please email me at sexcompod at gmail.com. I am always looking for new sex audio and people to interview. It could be you.